hope to clarify for you some of the significant elements of pastoral ministry. I want you to understand that my job is not to simply make bad people good. It's to make dead people live, or at least communicate the message of Jesus Christ that does that. I want to make it very, very clear it's not the good people that go to heaven and the bad people that go to hell. It's the saved people that go to heaven and lost people that go to hell. Now, I know that speaking about eternal issues is not really on the diet or the menu of many churches. Well, it is in the New Testament, therefore it is in this one. And it was constantly on the lips of Jesus, and Jesus happened to be the one who gives us most of the information in the Bible on heaven and hell, even more so than his um, cousin, who had an unusual fashion sense and diet and um, uh, preached the way he did. Uh, Even more so, Jesus focused on those issues. So please join me in Matthew chapter 13 and 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This does remind me, of course, of the uh, fella sitting in church one Sunday, and the pastor was new, and he didn't know who was a member and who wasn't, and he was real strong on a point. He said, every member of this church will die and face God one day. And he noticed a man over here smiling, real big. That's not how everyone else was responding. He said, again, louder, Every member of this church will die and stand before God. And the man smiled even bigger. Well, the pastor thought, what's wrong with this fool on the second track of his mind? And so he said even louder, every member of this church will die and stand before God. And the man almost burst out laughing. Well, the pastor moved on. And at the end of the service, he greeted folks afterwards. And the man came by. And the pastor said, look, when I was preaching, I said, every member of this church will die and stand before God. Why did you smile? He said, well, I'm not a member of this church. (laughs) It has stunned me through the years just how much religious people can miss it. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress said there is a portal from heaven that leads all the way to hell. Proverbs 30 verse number 12 says, There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. Isaiah defines that term, by the way. In um, Isaiah uh, chapter 4 verse 4, it couples it with the word blood. And can you imagine someone being covered head to toe in filthy, dried-up blood, and thinking, I'm clean. And then Isaiah uses this word filth again in Isaiah 28, verse 8, and couples it with the word vomit. Can you imagine somebody being covered head to toe in vomit and saying, nothing wrong with me. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet covered from head to toe in bloody vomit, morally and spiritually before God. And then, because of that, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And, and so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he said, make sure of your election and calling. Make sure that you've really had an encounter with God where he has met you in your sin and called you to Jesus Christ. Make sure of your election and your 
calling. And the parable that Jesus told in Matthew 13 of the wheat and tares illustrates the mixed nature of his kingdom. Begin reading with me in verse number 24 of Matthew chapter 13. There, another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Well, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now the disciples asked him to explain this, and beginning in verse 36, he does precisely this. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them in the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. This story is going to help us all discern whether we are wheat or tares. And I want you to notice the relationship between the wheat and tares. So in the first place, in the, first place the tares are similar to the wheat. The tares are similar to the wheat. You couldn't tell the difference until they produced a crop. And the tares in churches and in the world are similar to Christians in at least three different ways. Tares and wheat, non-Christians and Christians, are similar in at least three ways. First, both are planted. Both have had the experience of being planted. Verse number 25, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. In verse 24, he plants the wheat. Every tear and every bit of wheat has had an experience of being planted. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, non-Christians, religious people that have never been saved have had a religious experience. Many of them have in ways that are similar to the new birth experience. The point here is, is that not every euphoric, every ecstatic, or every religious experience comes from God. It is entirely impossible for the enemy to produce religious experiences. I remember as a teenager in my church where I came to the Lord, our minister of music, 
who came on board. I think he was the first paid one we ever had. He came on to be chief of police in town and then came on by vocationally to our church. He had been up in the Bay Area of California before to help plant a church that successfully did, uh, did well. He was a fine, upstanding man. He had the confidence of his officers. But after being in our church for a few months, he walked forward one Sunday morning and gave his heart and life to Jesus. He had never been born again. After him, after he left and went on to seminary, God called him to ministry. We had another minister of music come from a, uh, another church. Soon after he got there, he got interested in the pastor's daughter and married her. He was from a Pentecostal or charismatic background. He claimed to have spoken in tongues. He sung wonderful solos. He even had the kind of uh, commitment uh, to marriage where he would marry a pastor's daughter. After a few months of being in our church, he gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. Not every spiritual experience is from God. The tares are similar to the wheat in that they have both had an experience. Listen, there are some sweet people, some very nice people in our churches that have never been born again. And every good thing in their life can be explained in terms of good parents or a good education or good teachers, or a good neighborhood, or just good personal discipline. In fact, there's not a dime's worth of difference between them and nice, decent Muslims, Buddhists, or Hindus. None whatsoever at all. In other words, there's nothing good in their life, nothing spiritual in their life that can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. They both have similar experiences. They have both been planted. I need to tell you something, folks. I'm not only concerned after looking at the Scripture with unspiritual people, I'm concerned about some of the spiritual ones as too. You know, there are some people that can get so tore up about things not found in the Bible. Oh, and they can be terribly, terribly intense about them. Oh my goodness, and sound spiritual and have reasoning for standing behind some of these ideas and notions and some of these convictions, and they don't even have a heart for the Word of God and don't even know what the Bible says about these things. But to hear them speak, you would think, my goodness, they're spiritual. They're convicted. They have a heart. I mean, they've got to have choir robes in the choir. You see, they've got to have a certain century that defines their music and worship, whether the current one or two centuries ago. Uh, folks have got to dress in a certain way so they would exclude John the Baptist from the platform. I've been to some churches that would exclude Solomon as well. Oh my goodness, they've got all these unbiblical convictions, but they sound real spiritual and convicted when they talk about them. They've had the similar experience both of being planted, but that's not all. They're similar in that they're both present. Verse 25, look what he says. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and he went his way. Now this is, uh, the tear happens to be the wheat darnel, and you can't tell the difference between it and wheat until it produces its own crop. We, we've got darnel all throughout the New Testament. In Acts chapter 21, Paul comes off the mission field, and he begins to speak to James at the church in Jerusalem, and he says, we've got many people here that are zealous for the law, and you're going to have to appease them, Paul. They don't like the gospel of grace that you're preaching in the churches. So even the church of Jerusalem, the first original church, was mixed with tares. And when Paul got himself into some trouble there in Acts chapter 21, nobody stood with him. And then, of course, the most infamous example happens to be who? Well, not only Demas with Paul and his missionary team, but Judas Iscariot as well. Hey, Judas was trusted so much with the finances 
that they made him treasurer of the apostolic band early in Jesus' ministry. He handled the money among the disciples. That reminds me of a dream I heard a, a, an evangelist tell about one time. He said, I was sleeping, and, and I had this dream about people marching into hell. It was the most stunning dream I've ever had. And of course, at the front of the line were all the perverts and all the pedophiles and all the rapists and all, all the murderers. They're marching on to hell in chains. And, and then there were those that were um, false religionists. They did not claim Jesus is the Son of God. They had different religions. And they're behind all the Muslims, Boos, and Hindu, uh, Boos, Buddhists, and Hindus. They're following behind all the rapists and perverts and murderers. And then behind them are all the uh, liberal preachers that didn't believe in the deity of Christ and did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they uh, preached a false way of salvation or they preached salvation is not necessary because everyone's saved and God's too good to judge. But then right behind them was the most stunning group I've ever seen. He said there were pastors of conservative churches and pastors' wives and staff and staff wives and there were deacons and deacons' wives and then there were people that gave sacrificially to churches who would wave their Bible saying, we believe this book and we stand on it. There were people involved in music ministries and there were missionaries there all marching their way to hell. And ladies and gentlemen, do you understand? That has more in common with the biblical revelation than some of the popular ideas about salvation in this day. They are among, tares are among the wheat. They're very similar. And they are present. But then, uh, I need to say, I'm not only concerned about spiritual people, I'm not only concerned about those who don't attend church, I'm concerned about some of those who do. But there's a third similarity. They're not only planted and they're not only, they're not only present, but they're also progressing. Oh, this is stunning. Look at verse 26. When the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. You've got the wheat that grows and it makes progress, but my goodness, so do the tares. The tares grow. The tares make progress just like the Wheat, both sprout, both produce a crop. Listen to me, just because a person grows and changes doesn't mean that person is a Christian. You can grow without being a Christian. It's entirely possible. A person can accumulate more and more biblical knowledge and not be a Christian. A person can discipline himself or discipline herself in such a way so as to be observant of everything pastors and Bible teachers have to say. Growth is no guarantee of being a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. Both sprout, both produce a crop. Again, Judas Iscariot is this. In Matthew chapter 10, you go just a few chapters back, you'll find that Jesus sent Judas on an evangelistic mission through Israel. And Judas happened to be someone that healed the sick, and Judas raised the dead, and Judas preached the kingdom of God. If he had not, he'd been excluded from the apostolic band in Matthew 10. Oh, now you doubt me. Uh, some of you look at me like I have a snake on my head. Well, listen, I do have an orange tie, but not a snake on my head. Look, uh, Matthew chapter 7. Turn back a couple pages. It stands for the Astros, by the way. They made the playoffs. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Look there with me. Everybody's eyes. Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 7, verse 21. Look what it says here. Look at the productivity and look at the fruit of these 
that die and go to hell. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And so they've got the right vocabulary. They've grown to the point where they use the word, Lord, Lord. Many will say to me, now it's not just a few folks, this is a pervasive problem. Many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Hey, listen, Jesus doesn't dispute that. Jesus doesn't dispute the fact that they're preachers. Jesus does not dispute the fact that they are exorcists. Jesus does not dispute the fact that they have done many wonders, not for themselves, but in his name. And yet, his conclusion is verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. There is some similarity between the tares and the wheat. So, I'm not only concerned about those who don't grow, I'm concerned about some of those who do. As well. Now, I'm not a judge, of course. You understand that. I, I can't pick out who is and who isn't. I don't know if you're saved. You don't know if I'm saved. I'm the only one who knows my own heart. I don't know yours. I, I can have a good suspicion, of course, and I can appreciate the fruit. But only you and God know, and sometimes even we don't know. Until we get real before God, until we get honest before God and admit there are some similarities between tares and wheat. Vance Havner put it this way. He said some church members have been starched and ironed but never washed in the blood of Christ. Tares are similar to wheat. But there's a second stunning thing and that is tares are sown among the wheat. Uh, verse 27, look what happens here. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? And how then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. And then verse 39, Jesus explains, The enemy who sowed them is the devil. So do you know what we have here? We have a very stunning situation. Not only is God actively involved in adding members to churches numerically, so is the devil. Satan is actively involved in adding members to churches. There are some circumstances in which the devil would love for churches to grow numerically. While God actively builds the church membership numerically, so does the enemy. Now turn a few pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you can see how this would happen. You've got to understand, Satan is a master counterfeiter. And listen, Satan's not going to appear and ask for membership in this church uh, wearing a turban on his head and carrying a Quran. That's not how he's going to do that. I mean, we'd have some serious questions and we'd have to postpone a few things probably forever with someone like that. Okay? Well, that's not what's going to happen. If Satan wants to become, through someone, part of a local church, he's going to show up with the biggest study Bible he can purchase at the local Lifeway store. And he's going to show up dressed most, most like everyone else. And he's going to have the religious language that we use. And he's going to sing. And he's going to have some heart. He's going to impress everybody. And after six months, folks are going to start talking about making him a deacon. Or at least teaching a Sunday school class. You see, that's what Satan does. Satan does not come out and outright announce his presence. He always mixes some truth with error. 
And that's why some good naive peoples in our churches simply don't understand how in, this, how in the world this kind of thing could ever happen. But Paul had that problem with Corinth. He says in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 11, But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, and that's a Jesus who is more severe than what the Scripture says, or more indulgent than what the Scripture says. Too much compassion or too much stridency and severity. Another Jesus. So if he preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, so there's a different Holy Spirit, there's a different Jesus in the kingdom of hell that is advanced in the churches which you've not received, or a different gospel, than what we preach. Well, you put up, put up with it real well, Paul complains. So we find here in verse number, verse number 4, a different Jesus that the enemy advances. A different spirit who brings attention to himself instead of the biblical Jesus. Or a different gospel is what we have in verse 4. Now skip down to verse number 13. We find more problems with this. For such are false apostles. There were some there acting like apostles. Oh, very impressive. And Paul had to battle them in 2 Corinthians for legitimacy. They came across as legitimate apostles, and Paul said they're false apostles. Deceitful workers. So some working, they're laboring, they're perspiring in the service of Christ and giving their all, but they are deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And then look at the clincher in verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of darkness, right? No. In, in, into an impressive, orthodox, uh, Christ-like member, right? No, no, no. Into an angel of light is precisely what he does. Satan will never first appear as darkness. He always comes up front as light. Vance Habner said this, and I, I can't say it any better. He said, today the world has so infiltrated the church that we're more beset by traitors within than by foes without. Satan is not fighting churches. He's joining them. He does more harm by sowing tares than by pulling up the wheat. He accomplishes more by imitation than by outright opposition. The devil's main business today is getting people to join a church without being saved. So that's why at the end of this message, we're going to invite you to get real before God. I mean, you know, and you've known for some time that you're not real with God. You know Christ is not in your life. There's no, there's no evidence there. And you, you've known for some time, but you've been too proud to walk forward on Sunday morning like others have had to come. And, and to say, you know what, I'm lost. I've never been born again. You, you're just too proud. Uh, or, or you're fearful. And what, what will people say about me if I come forward? What, what will people say? I mean, I'm respected in this church. People expect me to, and, and so you're afraid. Let me tell you something. Anybody that would criticize you this morning for coming forward at the invitation probably needs to be saved themselves. All the real saved people be excited and thrilled for you. So you come. You ignore them. You just do what God wants you to do today. You give your heart and life to Christ. And listen, if you will simply repudiate your fakery and reject your pride, and reject your fear, and cast yourself only on Jesus because He died and rose from you again, he will, he will save you and make you His own. And we'll do that at the end of this message after, as we start to sing in just a few moments. So don't let those things hinder you. 
But the tares are sown among the wheat. But then there's a third thing. And that is the tares will be separated from the wheat. Verse 28 through 30 He said, an enemy has done this. And the servant said, well, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather the tares, you also uproot the the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, gather the tares, bind them, bundle, burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And Jesus explained that in verse number 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. But the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Jesus always said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear, when He said something difficult and shocking to the crowd that they weren't expecting and we're not accustomed to hearing. So I would say to you today what the Savior says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Make no mistake about it. It doesn't matter your religious discipline, your good character, or anything. If you're not born again, you'll bust hell wide open. Just like the rest. You need to give your heart and life to Jesus Christ because he says here in this text that what he's going to do is that he is going to separate the tares from the wheat. The tares shall be separated to hell. The wheat shall be separated unto heaven. Now, what does that mean? That means a couple of things. One, never ever join a political or religious movement that is interested in rooting out of society false religion. Anytime you leave that up to a governmental group or another group, you always have a case where something other than the New Testament controls the definitions. And what I mean by that is, is that it's very, very likely that you will uproot genuine Christians and not get at all the false religions. Never ever join a movement like that. Let God alone be Lord of the conscience. God and God alone. But there's another thing here too as well. Some might say, Pastor, you're trying to get people to doubt their salvation. I don't know that I could do that even if I tried. I'm not sure that I could. But let me say to you, I would much rather lead Christians to obey 2 Corinthians 13.5 and 2 Peter 1.10 to examine themselves and make sure of their election and calling and create a little anxiety in them to think through and pray through these issues and look at it and get saved possibly and put genuine Christians through that anxiety than I would to let church members I love die and bust hell wide open without any warning. I'm not going to do it for a few Christians to have some comfort. Oh, absolutely not. And by the way, I can't give you assurance and I can't give you comfort in your salvation. That, that is really above my pay grade. Only the Spirit of God can do that. That is God's work and that is God's activity in the heart and the life. But the scripture makes it very, very clear. There is coming a day when the tares will be separated from the wheat and God will make that real and God will make that true. And that's why today you need to get real with God. You've got to get honest with God about where you are with Him. Some of you have known for months and some of you have known for years you've never been born again. You know, you've always said there's got to be something more. People talk about meeting Jesus. All I did is go through the baptistry. People talk about being born again, and you know what? All I did is I became a church member. That's all that happened to me. Well, what do you mean by meeting Jesus? 
Well, what do you mean by that? Have you ever imagined how, how silly that question is? A number of years ago, I met Kirk Cameron. I did. I still remember it today. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was in a green room someplace. I was part of a, a group that invited him to come speak on the campus about evangelism at Southwestern Seminary. No big deal. It, it took 60 seconds. He was on the phone when we walked in, shook hands. We took off. That was it. But that was the reward I got for inviting him to campus. Okay? I'm sure that really wasn't the reward, but they hadn't given it to me since then. But anyway, uh, that, that's, uh, that's the reward we got. Well, that was such a small, unimpressive meeting. He's just a human, but I still remember it. I remember the first time I met my wife. That was a, mo- uh, that was a memorable event. I mean, it, 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 it shook me, it stirred me. And I didn't realize at the time, but God was doing something in my heart. And it actually happened and started happening when I reviewed her application to work with the youth camp and I saw her picture there. Hey, I remember these kind of things. Are you telling me that you can remember meeting your spouse and meeting some other celebrity or high-profile person, but you don't remember meeting Jesus Christ? Come on, get real. Get real. Get real with God. I've never been born again. I've never met Jesus Christ. It's time for me. Don't Don't put hope in any of your religious training or your biblical knowledge or your self-discipline. Your hope can be in nothing but Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And it's time for you to stop doubting and get it settled today. Because I'm going to tell you something, if you don't know Christ as Savior and you merely consider it and you walk out of this place and sometime this week you're gone from this earth, it doesn't matter all the consideration you've done. If you've not been saved, you'll die and go to a devil's hell. You've got to get it right and understood and settled today. Let's stand together and we'll help you with that.